So tonight we're going to continue with the series we started last week called Effective Corporate Kingdom Prayer. Effective Corporate Kingdom Prayer. And I don't know how long we're going to be on this. There's going to be about nine chapters, but some chapters are going to be multiple weeks and so forth. So it's hard to say how long we'll stay on this. But what I really want to do is help us uh, build a... Um, a lifestyle, a, a culture of prayer in Grace Christian Fellowship, but not just any kind of prayer, prayer that brings results. Now, our theme verse for the series uh, tonight is chapter 1A, by the way, called Effective Corporate Kingdom Prayer as the Catalyst to Visitation. So I'm really looking at, you know, we're talking about prayer. We're trying to qualify the word prayer by calling it effective or ineffective. We're trying to qualify the fact that there's a special kind of anointing in corporate prayer, although next week we're going to look at the necessity of individual or private prayer. Uh, we're trying to say that prayer that brings about God's eternal decree, his kingdom, uh, his established purposes is what is what we need to be praying for, not some sort of prayer for escapism or so forth that's, that's become prevalent today. And uh, we want to pray... Uh, in such a way that it becomes a catalyst for God to visit among his people. Now, our theme verses start with Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, this happens to be the same theme verse as the, the series we're doing on Sunday mornings at the 930 Sunday School called the Kingdom of God series. And um, so uh, your king, God's kingdom is something that Jesus declared after his fast, after his water baptism and baptism in the Spirit in Matthew 3, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to fast. He fasted 40 days, overcame the temptations. The devil departed from him to look for later to look for an opportune time. And he, began, he came out in the power of the kingdom and in the power of the Holy Spirit and began to say, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here. It's arrived. And the uh, the... We all know that the kingdom of God is uh, present and future. What you'll find is when God's spirit is strong, when God's people are committed, when they have faith, when God gives them zero, zeal, not zero, uh, when God gives them zeal, there tends to be more emphasis on the now aspects of the kingdom. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, know the kingdom of God has come among you. So the the... Uh, the kind of faith that puts all uh, kingdom victories and spreading of the kingdom and bringing a kingdom culture to the earth after uh, the second coming of Christ doesn't require any commitment, doesn't require any zeal, it doesn't require any faith, doesn't require any diligence. It's just a cop-out. When that idea began to emerge in the church in the late 18th century, you know, Charles Spurgeon actually predicted that that idea would become quite popular. Within 30 years of when he said that, it was 95% of the, uh, of the expectations in terms of eschatological kingdom expectations of God's people because uh, any old lazy, apathetic person can believe it. And it sells a lot of books in Christian bookstores. So the kingdom is something that's now, it's on earth, and it brings about a willingness, a willing people to do God's will in the same manner as is in heaven on the earth now. 
James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective uh, prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Uh, New King James adds the word fervent after effective. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Uh, so it, if you know how to read the reverse negative, if the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, then there must be ineffective prayers, perhaps of not so righteous men, that don't accomplish a great deal. So what we want to cry out to God for, God make us godly men, make us righteous men, make us a people that can have a corporate prayer effort that's sustained and on a going and burst your kingdom purposes, accomplishes much. That's effective prayer. Effective prayer is not necessary in a necessarily attached to styles or types of ways of praying. Uh, it's not necessary that prayer, like in many traditions, prayer is spontaneous. In other traditions, they use prayers written by godly, uh, of course, out of the Psalms and the scriptures, but also by godly men through church history. Uh, I believe in, in using written prayer. I believe in spontaneous prayer. I believe that spontaneous prayer people will do best, though, if they really know a lot of Scripture, and they pray according to the Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if, if that's not the case, you ought to check into learning how to pray using the, uh, the anointed prayers of, of guy, guys that were very effective and powerful in church history. So, uh, our, we had two quotes to start the series with as well. One is, when all is said and done regarding prayer, there's often more said than done. Oftentimes, uh, without, I, I'm hoping to God that God can teach us enough about prayer and give us enough hunger for his presence and for his redemptive uh, purposes that, that include forgiveness and reconciliation and deliverance from demons and all that, that uh, prayer meetings could go on for hours if if we didn't have something have to stop them because we got something else important to do. I've I've seen so many prayer readings that people couldn't sustain praying for ten or fifteen minutes. You really ought to be able to, in a corporate prayer setting, um, limit how much you pray because of your courtesy for other people that God is using to pray, and only for that reason, not because you don't you're so apathetic you have nothing to pray. Um, there's way more to pray for in terms of bringing God's purposes and kingdom to this earth than you could possibly accomplish in a 30-hour day, eight days a week. So uh, if you're running out of things to pray, get in the Word and get to know the Lord and get to know His kingdom purposes and listen to our Kingdom of God series. And it, You should never run out of things to pray. You should limit how much you pray in corporate settings depending on how many people are in, in your midst and in uh, courtesy to let them pray what they want to pray. But there shouldn't be uh, five, ten-minute gaps where nobody has anything to pray. That, that's just, frankly, not very biblical. It's kind of absurd. In any case, when all is said and done regarding prayer, there's often more said than done. Prayer is a work that does require a relationship with God. It requires a biblical kind of faith. It's more than just intellectual assent to the ideas of the gospel, but it requires a kind of communion with God whereby you sense his burdens. Uh, if you want to grow an ability to sense God's burdens and his concerns, read the word a lot. 
and your your heart will be a set aflame. You know, there I, I, there's a little DVD I like to watch once in a while about Charles Wesley, the less famous brother of John Wesley. Uh, but it was called a heart set aflame. And, you know, the, once the guy got quickened in the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit and had his kind of born-again experience or baptized in the Spirit, it's kind of unclear in the Wesleys what, what's going on all there. But what is clear is they were on fire for God the rest of their life. And uh, John, Charles Wesley, uh, his biography is called A Heart Set Aflame because, you know, the guy wrote a worship song every day for the rest of his life, which was 50-some years, over 80,000 worship songs. Of course, one of my dearest one is over a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the wonders of his grace. You know, he's saying, I wish I don't, didn't just have one tongue to praise God with. I wish he'd give me a thousand tongues. That's a little bit what Peter's getting after in First Peter when he says joy inexpressible and full of glory. I believe that's part of the reason God gives you a prayer language is because his joy is inexpressible and it's full of glory. So let's get into uh, our series goals. Now, uh, stated really shortly, it's to see God build a church community where there is a sustained prayer effort. We've chosen, hopefully by the grace of God, and we don't sense any different, that to call this community Grace Christian Fellowship. But it's a church community, and we want to have one part of our culture be to have regular, sustained prayer efforts. If we wait for the married guys with kids and, and the elders and different things to, to see that culture be built, it'll never be built. It's, it, it'll happen if a bunch of single men and single women uh, who have, frankly, uh, the time to do it, get two, three, five, seven prayer meetings a week. I have three prayer meetings that I attend, but that doesn't need to be all the prayer meetings that there are. Uh, so uh, when all is done... Is said and done regarding prayer, there's often more said than done. Now, um, stated a little longer version, again, the short version, to see God build a church community where there's a sustained prayer effort. I have a, a statement A and a statement B in terms of our goals for this series. A is to re regularly remind ourselves that a lifestyle of personal and corporate prayer is the necessary prerequisite to witness God build a church community of kingdom-oriented people who are able to maintain and bring increased or bring an increase to an atmosphere of the manifest presence of God. That's who we want to be as Grace Christian Fellowship. I don't want just a revival. I want a visitation of God that grows and is sustained with more and more supernatural Signs where people who uh, were false Christians are become real Christians, where people who don't know the Lord come to know the Lord, where people who are bound up in their Christian walk get set free, where the where there's an increased atmosphere of joy and power, and and movement in our worship and in our prayer life and in our proclaiming the gospel on campus or at at Wright Brothers School or wherever God calls us to regularly remind ourselves that a lifestyle of personal and corporate prayer is the necessary prerequisite to witness God build a church community of kingdom-oriented people who are able to maintain and bring increase to an atmosphere of the manifest presence of God. Long statement, but I hope you'll chew that up regularly. B, to see that redeemed king, 
to see that redeemed kingdom community, that is Grace Christian Fellowship, that redeemed kingdom community reach an ever-widening group of lost people who become effective, mature, radically committed disciples of Christ and fruitful soldiers in his kingdom. Effective corporate prayer is the catalyst of visitation. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm going to make a couple statements, and we're going to look about at this at the next at least two weeks, maybe three. Uh, we'll see. But um, first of all, there is no birth without travail. I would say if I could look back at the 11 years of struggle, and we are growing, and some people are becoming more mature, got disciples, and God is adding some good people to our midst, and God is setting some people free, and so forth. But if I were to, to critique us as a church, I would say we haven't had the kind of faith that would lead to sustained small group prayer efforts all the time, and therefore release the power of God. I have had the privilege, uh, this uh, is my 40th year uh, of being a Christian, and uh, I had the privilege from 1974 to uh, 1979, and then again from 81 to 85, and then again from 85 to 91. I've had the privilege to be a part of three sustained moves of God where there was really anointed, powerful spiritual worship all the time, lots of prophecies after every worship, uh, lots, lots of people coming to know the Lord, lots of people getting set free from things that bound them like fears and angers and, and bad habits and things like that. Uh, lots of people having intense Christian community uh, where there was a hunger to know the word. Uh, and the one, the one group I'm talking about, uh, there was, they had uh, 89 foundational teaching tapes and 18 foundational Christian books and uh, they asked people to read the, the New Testament two to three times and the Old Testament one to two times. And most people were so hungry for the Lord who came into the church that they did that the first year they were a Christian. And by the way, they were primarily honor students at University of Dayton and Wright State who, who had uh, 3.5s and above and maintained them in that kind of atmosphere. So... I've seen this, I've seen these kinds of visitations of God that we're talking about. And the most common characteristic of it was there were prayer meetings. Um, I'm not upset at anybody, but recently I knew about a few brothers got together to pray. And after around 20 to 30 minutes, they were done praying. And uh, they had another half an hour to 40 minutes before they had another commitment and they stopped praying. And I'm like, that kind of represents a dryness. That kind of represents a lack of scripture knowledge. That kind of represents a lack of burden to see God's purposes established. Somehow you've gotten turned inward and locked in yourself. Believe me, a Christian should never run out of things to pray. There should just be other responsibilities in your life that cause you to stop the prayer meeting like, oh, yeah, I do have a biology test tomorrow. Or, <laughs> you know, uh, or my wife is expecting me back at 11 or something. <laughs> but it shouldn't be because we're just bored. That re represents no move of the Spirit in your life. That represents no hunger for the things of God. That represents no burden for how dark it is out there and no belief that prayer is the necessary prerequisite to change it all. If a, group, a community of Christians goes about having sacraments, having teaching, having catechism, having personal discipleship, 
it will all be for naught if there's not a more prayer. And that's why, frankly, more than any other reason, Grace Christian Fellowship has experienced so many people moving at a snail's pace. In terms of, you know, you look back and you go, huh? I guess if I look back over one or two or three years, yeah, I think there's some progress. But there ought to be progress that's that's can only be explained by the power of God changing a heart. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. There ought to be, you know, I, I always go back to this one experience I had when I was uh, reading the Bible in bed as a ba- baby Christian. I'd been a Christian a couple months. I think I'd been off marijuana a month or two. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, wasn't real deep yet. I, I'm, I, I was probably on my third or fourth time through the New Testament. And, and uh, one night I was really struggling with, you know, God convicted me about the areas he wanted me to get more sanctified and grow in and things. And I remember turning off the light and sliding under the covers and saying, Lord, I just want to do your will. I just want to be pleasing to you. I just want to be close to you and do that which pleases you. And I actually sat up and turned the light on and said, that came out of my heart. (laughs) That was not on my radar in my my pre-Christian days. Believe me, non-believers are not all that passionate about pleasing God and being intimate with him and being close to him. If you're not passionate about those things, you should be concerned. But if you are passionate about those things, it's because God gave you new life. And that can't happen just by uh, individuals having 5, 10, 12 evangelistic Bible studies a week if there's no prayer effort. That happens by binding demonic spirits that are trying to lead people off into temptation. Uh, that happens by, by holding up people's names before the throne of God. The Bible several times uses the, the, uh, the, the concept that their names were written in the book of life. That, that happens by intercession. That happens by spiritual warfare. By, and we're going to actually look at, um, I didn't bring the titles with me to, tonight. Should have done that. Um, but we're going to look at, Types of prayer is one of the chapters in this series. So in terms of effective corporate prayer, there's no birth without travail. Now, I noticed that a a usual problem we have tonight, of course, it's even more pronounced now because we now have a Thursday night Bible study for women uh, led by Emily and my wife, two of the elders' wives. And uh, I know a lot of the single guys would prefer to be at that one. But... uh, (laughs) uh, you know, we have all guys tonight. So I don't think anyone here has actually been through travail. However, there's at least two guys here that have seen it <laughs> and uh, watched their wives go through it. And uh, it's intense. And, you know, one of, they say that the, the most common characteristic of, of the millennial generation is passivity and apathy. Uh, also the whole kind of ignorance. Most Christians don't know that much about their faith. You know, it's that old joke of is, which is the problem that's going on in the church today, ignorance or apathy? The answer, I don't know, and I don't care. But, uh, (laughs) you know, um, travail is something that you can't be that kumsi kumsa about. You got to go through it intensely. And prayer that's effective actually is the most important ingredient of changing cultures, communities, people, individuals, families, and the world. 
And that's really what I would like to see grow in our midst. I have here the necessary prerequisite to effective. Notice the big blank, because that's pretty much effective anything that God wants to do. Uh, we used to use, use it with evangelism. But in terms of discipleship, building community, having intense worship, prayer is the necessary prerequisite to all of it. It takes painstaking effort. Now, people say, what is God's will? What is visitation? Jesus gave some clues about that. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, it's not the righteous who need a doctor, but the sick. Right? Um, Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. People all get all mystical about, how do we know what to pray? How do we know what God's will? God, John 3, 17, which ought to be more famous than John 3, 16. It's one of my pet peeves. Uh, everyone knows John 3, 16. But John 3, 17 says this, that the Jesus, the Son of Man, or the Son of God, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The fact is, if God just wanted to have you get harangued by uh, the preacher Greg or someone, other preacher, about your many sins, you had that before you came. <laughs> you, you were condemned. You were without God and without hope in the world, the Bible teaches. Christ came to seek the lost. His will is reconciliation. His will is healing. The blind man said to Jesus, "If Lord, if you're willing to heal me, you can heal me. Jesus said, I am willing. God's will is redemption. God's will is reconciliation. God's will is saving individuals and saving families and saving neighborhoods. God's will is deliverance. God's will is healing. God's will is to make you a guy so together that if you knew at the beginning of Christian life how much you were going to be filled with the Spirit of God and with wisdom and knowledge, you could not have believed it. God's will is that his people wouldn't have answers, but that you would be the answer. In business situations, in family situations, in, in, in financial situations, that you would be the answer. That you'd be able to say, well... I can take you through Bible studies and I can start to disciple you and so forth. But the greatest advantage is going to be just hanging out with me. That's what we should be able to say always as God's church. You want to see what Jesus is like? Come to our church. Start hanging around us, not just at the church meetings, but at the softball game. Hope we have a softball team someday. I'm trying to, I'm trying to prophesy. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Um, so that's what God's will is. And God's will is a sustained visitation of his presence. Now, um, let's look at some definitions to go with this message tonight about prayer as the catalyst of visitation. First of all, I want to define prayer again. It's in quote number two, but I also have it down here. Prayer is a dynamic interplay between God and us, whereby his redemptive kingdom purposes are birthed and established. Now, that's the short version. Let's add a little bit. Prayer is a dynamic interplay. What does a dynamic interplay mean? Communication, dialogue. More than that, though, a transaction. 
God actually wants to impart his presence and his spirit and his grace and empowerment to you. See, we think of grace as forgiveness, but grace is the empowerment to become a, do, a, a new person, to become like Jesus. Jesus said in John 20, real mysterious verse, he said, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. So that almost all commentators believe, every, Catholic or Protestant believe that he wasn't just saying that to the original 12 disciples and maybe the, and the, if there were more out of the 120 or so that were in the room that night, he was saying it to all believers for all time. You won't find a Catholic or Protestant theologian that doesn't agree with that. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. So the word as means in the same way as. Obviously, the first thing that we have to become is like Christ. And that doesn't just mean character. It means character and it means charisma. That is anointing and power. We have a saying in our movement, and I say it a lot, character before charisma. It's a dangerous thing to see people move stronger and stronger in the zeal and power of God without the backup character behind it. Nevertheless, it's not just character, but it's anointing. It's the kind of thing that, you know, this lady pressed against Jesus, and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Uh, God wants all of us to grow in that. So it's it's more than a, than a, a, a communication in terms of listening, but it's a, it's a communication in terms of a flow of his spirit, a transaction. Prayer is a dynamic, not undynamic. Dyna- the Greek, the, by the way, the word normally translated power in the New Testament, there's two different English words, but most of the time, depends on the context, you'll see like in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. The Greek word there is dunamis, which we get our English words dynamite and dynamic and dynamo from. So he, Jesus is saying, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to become a dynamic dynamo. <laughs> in terms, you're not going to just witness, you're going to be a witness. People are going to go, whoa, what happened to you? <laughs> Obviously, you're all about something different than you used to be. What, what the heck's going on? And uh, that's, that's really important. A dynamic interplay between God and us, whereby his redemptive kingdom purposes are birthed and established. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses says this, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. I love that verse because so much of our modern prayer is like giving God our laundry list of demands as if he's our butler. You know, there's an, in the Psalms it says he's our buckler and some people misread that and think he's your butler. <laughs> and like he's not your Aladdin's lamp. He's not your genie. He's not going to grant your wishes that your kids would behave better or, or, or that your job would go. He's, he's, he's deeper than that. Um, guard your steps as you go near the throne of God or the presence of God uh, to, to listen rather than offer a sacrifice of fools. Do not be hasty in word or impulse. Some people speak uh, when they sense the God, God stir and they speak whatever comes into their mind too quick. That's called a child versus an adult. Do not be hasty in word or impulse in, in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. 
when you're praying, there's there's actually a Christian discipline, ancient one that uh, only a few modern people advocate, uh, but it's called solitude. And the idea is that your spirit is so busy and your mind is so stirred up that you ought to sit quietly in the presence of God and have no possibilities of interruption. Turn off the cell phone, uh, you know, go out in the woods somewhere where the only sound you can hear is some, you know, like a woodpecker or something. Uh, and, you know, maybe read the Bible uh, or other devotional literature, but quiet your spirit before God so that you can hear him. We're all anxious and worried and bothered by so many things in our culture. A catalyst. What's a catalyst? A catalyst, wish Sydney was here. He loves this word. A substance that causes an increase in the rate of chemical reaction. It's a term from chemistry, of course, but I'm using it metaphorically. A substance that causes an increase in the rate of chemical reaction. God wants to move in power and redemption and save people, deliver them, heal them. So prayer is that catalyst that causes the increase in that rate of him. Again, I submit to you that I think that's been the number one problem we've had in Grace Christian Fellowship is we've had a lot of, of the core leaders are people who are going to college and getting married and getting having to work one and two jobs and so forth. And we've just needed that second tier of people to, to make prayer happen. Um, visitation, what do we mean by that? Uh, in, an initial and sustained and increasing corporate encounter with the manifest presence of God from which he accomplishes his redemptive, miraculous kingdom purposes. That's what a visitation is. As I said, I've had, a, I've had the privilege of being a part of that three times uh, in the 70s and the 80s on into the early 90s. And uh, it, it comes about by prayer. Where people who are drug addicts don't have to have 12-step programs, they're just free. Where people that uh, had all sorts of emotional problems just grow up. Because you cannot bring about anything, read Galatians 5, read in Romans 8. You can't hope to bring about any but thing but fleshly fruit unless you get filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit so that you grow the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. You know, the fruits of the, the flesh are obvious, outbursts of anger and enmities and sexual immorality and so forth. God, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we live in the, in the life of the resurrected Christ. But that's the provision God died to give you. Jesus came to give you that on earth as it is in heaven. So a, a visitation is obviously a very important biblical concept. Note, visitations and revivals are probably beyond the modern concept of revival. Uh, it's not just about souls being saved. It's about disciples being made. It's not just about uh, having a manifest presence of God. It's about that manifest presence of God 
bringing about a corporate expression of Christian community called the church that is full of mercy and wisdom and good fruit and uh, ever-increasing Christ-likeness. Uh, D, the, the idea of spiritual climate or atmosphere. Uh, when we say uh, visitation or whatever, there can there is a spiritual climate that's in families, it's in churches, it's in uh, neighborhoods, and it's based on verses like this. Let's read Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Here's the payoff verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. <laughs> Some people just need to think on that one a while. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Do you want to want to know why there's discord and division in businesses and churches and families and so forth? Because of this. Because there's atmospheres of spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And eventually, over time, a family cultivates an atmosphere. If you're a Christian brother and you live in a Christian brother's house, you cultivate an atmosphere. If you're in a Christian community, you cultivate an atmosphere. And prayer is the, is the necessary prerequisite, regular, sustained, often individual, and especially corporate prayer. People say that when they come in our house, they sense the peace. They sense the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. It's because there's been a lot of people living there for the glory of God for a lot of years. Um, it's no, there's no mystery to it. It's because of individual and corporate uh, worship, prayer, Bible study. Uh, and we're going to look at five types of prayer, and, and we're going to help you understand that Bible study itself, done rightly, is a type of prayer. It's a communion with God. Worship is a type of prayer. Intercessory prayer is a type of prayer. Spiritual warfare is a type of prayer. The fifth type of prayer, petitions, is what we think of with prayer. That's a To ask God for things is a valid part of prayer, but we kind of make it the all in all of prayer. Uh, Matthew 18 18 through 20, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. You know, there are demonic atmospheres in neighborhoods, and there are, and there are Holy Spirit atmospheres. And some, as you grow in the Lord, you'll be able to sense that more and more. Uh, often you can sense it in individuals. They'll have a cloud of demonicness about them, or they'll have an amazing uh, joy and anointing about the Holy Spirit about them. Um you know, I have a Bible study with a Christian young man that's so solid with the Lord, he's just learning about why he should study the Bible more, and he's done doing that about a year now. Now he's looking at being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he's always filled with the Lord. It's just so, it's so fun to be with him. Yeah. You know, because he's always consistent. He's just got good character all the time. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, now that Greek word agree is the Greek word symphéo, which we get our word symphony from. Doesn't mean you're making the same sound, but it means you're not making a, a dissonant sound. 
You know, they say that modern 20th century symphonic music that is using is full of cacophony. That is noise and, and chords that, that clash and so forth. And because 20th century composers are trying to use the, symph the symphonic band to, to uh, talk about man's angst and man's hopelessness and, and the, the, you know, the whole lostness of modern culture and so forth, they, they don't like to have dis they, they like to have dissonance, not uh, consonants. But this Greek word symphéo means consonants. Doesn't mean everyone in the church has the same gifts or is doing the same things, but it means that they blend nicely together and they make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's one reason that you know when you first start walking with God, learn to sing, sing to the Lord all the time. If you want to see, I think singing to the Lord is probably one of the most life-changing things that can ever happen to anyone. I remember when God made that a foundation of my life. Uh, I went from never singing to singing the things of the Lord all the time. And it, it caused me to be kind of in this thing where I was empowered by the Spirit all the time. You can't worship the Lord and sing songs unto him without getting starting to come into his presence and, get, and starting to catch more of his Spirit. That just If you're a singer to the Lord, that's what happens. Today, we listen to other people sing on YouTube videos. The reason I challenge people, learn to play the guitar for yourself. Don't, don't let your worship be passively listening to other people worship. That may be the source of lots of problems in your life. Go, you know, if you're going to use CDs or whatever, then at least worship along. <laughs> sing along. So, and I guess there's a place for having some mood worship in the background or something like that. But if that's, if you're not a singer unto the Lord, I think you're bound by a kind of passivity that's holding you back from experiencing the flow of God's spirit. Plain and simple. Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit, look at that word visit, you and fulfill my good word for you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord's plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, interestingly, this was Jeremiah's prediction after the, after the Babylonian captivity, the second captivity, the captivity of Jerusalem. And uh, this was fulfilled exactly. They actually rebuilt the temple 70 years to the date of the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians. And um, Jeremiah, Daniel used this prophecy to, as the basis of his intercessory prayers in the book of Daniel. But the key word here is that I'll visit you. And God visits in any way he wants. One of the most amazing things about this visitation is that God raised up a pagan king named Cyrus, who was the you know emperor uh, of the Medes and the or the Persian Medes, and uh, he's one of the few people in the Old Testament who's called the Lord's anointed. And what he was anointed to do was to make a declaration that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem, to and, and that he would provide the funds and the protection and everything. And Ezra and Nehemiah are the fulfillment of that. Unfortunately. When, when God is calling people forward, our sinful nature, demonic spirits, uh, our worldly culture inside of us doesn't want to go very far on that journey. 
Most people have spent most of their life using what little they know about God and church to keep away from God. And sadly, when God gave the proclamation through Cyrus and then through Ezra and Nehemiah and others, only a very, very small percentage of the Jews actually went back. Most estimates are around 20,000, around 1%, 2 or 3%. Uh, probably more like 1%. Um, most Jews continued to live dispersed throughout the, the Medes Empire, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And so by the time of Acts 2, you hear devout Jews living in Jerusalem from 16 different nations that the Romans had conquered because after the original 722 deportation of the northern kingdom in, the five, in 586 B.C., the, the southern kingdom, even though God allowed the Israelites to journey back to the fullness of, the, of a nation and under the nations with the sacrificial system and all the things that God wanted them to do, only a very small percentage ever took him up on it. Most of them preferred to live their Judaism in a foreign land in some sort of compromised kind of Judaism, uh, not fully biblical. And that's really what we're up against in the church today. And that is, there's one thing that can begin to solve that, and that's corporate sustained prayer meetings that have faith to believe that. Luke 1, 67 through 80 is Zechariah's prophecy of Christ. Uh, how God has visited his people. He uses the word visited. Read, read that for yourself because we're lacking on time. But after Zechariah talks about how Jesus, he, you know, Jesus is an emphasis. In verse 80, it says that he continued to grow up and gain wisdom before God and men and so forth. But after he talks about that, Jesus does grow up. And he go, eventually, and when he's 30 years old, he goes into his ministry and after his death, burial, and resurrection, and the outpouring of Pentecost and so forth, when the gospel starts to go to Cornelius and the Gentiles, in Acts 10.38, the first major sermon to the Gentiles, fulfilling everything God had said to Abraham and so forth, he says, you know about Jesus, a man anointed by the Spirit of God, who went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. Now, when is the last time you saw that happen in church? That's supposed to be the mission of the church. Things like exorcisms are now a rarity in almost all forms of Christianity. But they were 25% of Jesus' ministry. They were a common occurrence uh, in the book of Acts, and they have been a common occurrence in many many Christian ministries throughout the centuries. So, uh, of both Catholic and Protestant. Because it's normal. But it comes about by prayer. I'm asking, like what I'm asking, I, I'm hoping that we'll, you know, the reason I'm recording these on Wednesday nights when I, we had a lot more people last week, I had a lot of, a lot of people had tough weeks this week, and I'm, I knew there would be a small turnout. That's fine. Some people sent me messages knowing that they wouldn't come. And some people sent me messages saying they were coming. That's, I love that. I appreciate the, the courtesy. But I'm hoping that we can get everybody in our church to buy into listening to this stuff on the podcast. While they drive to work or what have you. But if we can... And if, if, if uh, people can stop waiting till 
Greg leads a prayer meeting or Jason leads a prayer meeting or Carla leads a prayer meeting, but just, just, you know, the, the reason we have like, we have like 15 people in this church that have a key to the building. Plus you have homes to have prayer meetings in, in apartments. Uh, but anybody can get with two or three brothers and say, let's go over to the, you know, maybe if you have three or four hours to hang out, you could read for a couple hours and pray for an hour. Uh, let's move on and see how much further I'm going to go. I'm combining the above ideas, and I'll probably stop there for tonight and uh, lead this into next week. Um, effective corporate prayer is a spiritual catalyst to the initial, to the sustained, and to the increasing corporate community-wide manifest presence of God out of which his redemptive, miraculous kingdom purposes are birthed and established. If I can, by the grace of God, have I sense a strong anointing of the Holy Spirit, but I also sense it's a really uphill battle that what we're battling against is a culture of unbelief. We're battling against a culture of low expectations of what our individual Christianity can set us free from in, in terms of fears and things, like whatever holds us back, and in terms of our belief that what a prayer effort can do. But believe me, God intends to have a, a visitation of God that comes on Grace Christian Fellowship, and the reason I worked so deeply with certain core people to make sure they were really mature and wise and so forth is because I want to make sure that it doesn't run out of gas in, in, for uh, several generations. Does that make sense? I, I, hope I, can, I hope I can challenge us to, to come to a whole new belief in prayer so that, uh, you know, if, if three or four brothers get to together to pray, the only thing that stops that prayer meeting isn't their apathy or their thinking they ran out of things to pray, which is crazy, but because they got to get to class or something, or it's one o'clock in the morning, I got to be at work at eight o'clock tomorrow or something like that. I'm all for the prayer meeting stopping because there's so much anointing and you've been praying so long and you've done so much that you, you know, like tomorrow's another day, let's start over <laughs> or whatever. But not like because we're bored and because we don't know what to pray for. That's that's craziness. That's unbelief. That's doubt. It's skepticism. It's not knowing scripture nor God's kingdom purposes. And it's not believing that you've been called of God to release those through prayer. You have been called of God to release those things through prayer. That's what this series is all about. Um I if you want to look at, uh, I don't know if I'm going to cover these next week, so Roman, I'm going to tell you real quick. Roman numeral five there is some biblical examples of God's kingdom purposes being released in prayer. I think I am going to cover one or two tonight to close. Uh, number six is eight famous biblical fasts and their results. Next week, we'll look at four purposes of group prayer and four purposes of private prayer. If we finish that, I'll probably go back and look at some more of these biblical examples. But Luke 1.10, I'll just tell you about it. Zechariah, who the same one who prophesied, is John, John the Baptist's father, was a priest, and he was uh, of the, you know, the Levitical order of priests, and he was called, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of God. Now, there's a little phrase that almost everyone misses, that when he went into the temple, all the people of Israel were outside praying. 
And then an angel appears to him who prophesies to him of, of his son, John the Baptist, and what his son, John the Baptist, calling will be. Uh, he, Zechariah has trouble believing it, and, and the angel judges him, but he says, you'll be silent until the day, till he's born, and you give him the name John, and so forth. But that was birthed because a lot of people were praying. Guess what they were praying for? If you know anything about what's called Second Temple Judaism in the time just before Christ, they were praying for the coming of the Messiah. They were praying for release from their enemies, which they thought was just the Romans and Satan. They didn't know it was their own sin. They didn't know they were part of the problem. Um, Real quick, let's go to Acts 1. Turn with me there so you're following me. But let's, let's put this together. The book of Acts is an amazing thing. From the beginning of the book of Acts till chapter 28, the gospel starts with, listen to this carefully, there were 120 fearful people who were scared out of their mind uh, of of the Jewish leaders hiding out in an upper room in Jerusalem. Think about that. That's that's where the church started. If you, if you think, like, because you know what? We've got some challenges to get this kind of atmosphere coming in Grace Christian Fellowship. But if you can get a hold of this, we can, God can do this. We can cooperate with God to do this. These people were scared stiff, right? But Jesus tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. It would have been much safer to leave Jerusalem. He tells them, stay right where you're afraid to stay. God many times does that to you, by the way. Here's where your fears are. I'm going to have you be there. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, uh, which he said you heard of from me, for John baptized in water, but you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So how do they respond to that? In verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. That means like every day. And they had one mind, one purpose. Their purpose was they understood that Jesus had breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, if you confess the sins of any, they'll be, uh, forgive the sins of any, they'll be forgiven. If you retain, they'll be retained. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. He tells them to wait and don't go out in this, in this sending until you receive power from on high. So they're praying for a new infusion of power. They don't totally know what he's talking about in Acts 1, 4, and 5, and 8 about the Holy Spirit coming, but they're expecting that it'll at least be a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Because in John 14, 15, and 16, at the Last Supper, over and over and over again, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do all the same things I'm doing. And if the Holy Spirit is actually in your midst, if you really get filled with the Holy Spirit when someone lays hands on you, you're going to start doing stuff Jesus did. That's what Jesus taught in John 14, 15, and 16. Now, it's very convenient to think it's supposed to just be some empty ceremony or so forth, but it's not. You can't justify that with Scripture, just that you can justify it with the fallen nature of man and the fact that we tend to drift away and we tend to become unbelieving and we tend to become full of empty traditions that we don't infuse with the real meaning of them or the power of them. Uh, anymore. And we don't, you know, that's one of the things John and I, we love to teach on the church calendar and, and all the things God has done, but we're never going to teach on it in a way that doesn't say these things are still active. They're present. Jesus is alive. He didn't like 
be, ascend and then go to sleep in, until he comes back to rescue a, a weak and fearful church. So these people, they hear Jesus, and it says, These with all one mind, Acts 1.14, were all with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and, the Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Awesome, right? So what's the result of their prayer? In Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost come, they were all together in one place, just like they had been in Acts 1.14. Now that's a 10-day period from when he tells them to do this, and when Pentecost comes. I don't know what day verse 14 is. Maybe it's halfway through the 10 days. Maybe it's the third day. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But it tells us very clearly that they were continually devoting themselves to doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, to pray for the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit. And when that happened, the first people, a crowd of people came up and said, these people are drunk on cheap wine. Uh, and, and the church was off to a great start. And Peter said, we're not drunk on cheap wine. It's only nine in the morning. And he pray, pro proclaimed the kingdom. And a whole, Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, my community, my church. And the church was born. Now, uh, great, you know, the title of this message was and is that effective corporate kingdom prayer is the necessary prerequisite that is the catalyst to a visitation of God. And I ask you to first start praying for and believing that you could believe for that kind of visitation of God to happen again in our day. I've seen it three times in my 40 years of being a Christian, and I believe the time is now to start crying out for it in, in Grace Christian Fellowship. And I commission the, you that are listening on podcasts and you that are sitting in the pews right now to be the ones that start it. Call someone else and saying, hey, do you want to pray for an hour? I pray to God that we'll have prayer meetings like that that really are full of faith and expectation and zeal and expecting God to move this way every day. Amen.